guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. I'm dead delighted because today is another fantastic day, another fantastic day for an interview. And I have got Avishkar Sabaval with me. Avishkar is a gentleman who has had his own journey, who has dealt with weight issues throughout his life. And like me, he's a, he's a colleague in medicine. And we both, I guess we both should know it all. But here we were uh, struggling with our own demons and with our own weights and wondering why the hell, you know, what has happened. And Avishka went on his own journey that we're going to explore today. So Avishka, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thank you so much, Stefan, for having me. I'm so excited about today's episode. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. And Avishka, we've met on a, on a discussion forum, and I realized that you had your own podcast on obesity in medicine. And initially, I was, as an anesthetist, I looked at obesity in medicine, and I thought, hmm. That's quite specialized, etc. And then, uh, and lifestyle medicine. And only then did I start to realize that actually the United States is quite a bit ahead of us uh, in the rest of the world of actually identifying that uh, obesity is a huge thing and that, that morbid obesity is getting bigger and bigger as a problem, pun intended. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, but it is an issue. But um, that's all quite nice. As doctors, we know the facts, we know the, 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 the evidence-based medicine is, is driven into us. But we often, our brain does not necessarily link so well with the reptilian brain. And that doesn't, right. <laughs> yeah, there's so much programming going on on that level. So let's explore that today. But tell us a little bit about your journey. Because where did you start? How did you get involved in this uh, in this specialized field? So it's really interesting, uh, Stefan. Actually, I come from a family of doctors. Uh, my parents are doctors. My brother is a doctor. My in-laws are doctors. Everybody around me is a physician. <laughs> and I've had a weight issue all my life. And um, I never knew what to do about it. So what I was told was, as everybody else is, eat less and move more. Just, you know start eating less, cut down on your calories, um, avoid junk food, which is, which is good, but you know, it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, and then when I was doing my residency in India um, in internal medicine, I really, my weight just shot up and I reached my highest weight, following which I, I decided that there was something that I needed to do about it. And at that point in mind, um, uh, mind you, I was... At that point in time, I was um, of the opinion that it's a lifestyle issue because I did not know any better. And when I say lifestyle issue, what I mean is um, it was just something that I could control by my volitional behavior. So, so I did what I could do, and that was um, I started eating. Well, I didn't start eating less. What I did instead was I started eating healthier. And by healthier, I mean whole foods. And I had a rule that I would, um, whatever I wanted to eat, I could eat anything that I wanted to eat, but I would make sure that I would make it at home. 
and then eat it, whether it was a pizza, whether it was whatever, but it was something that I would make at home. My philosophy was that, you know, stuff like this, I'm not going to be able to make every day because it's very complicated to make it, right? Um, and I started exercising. So, you know, it's interesting when I started out, um, I was of the notion, and actually even before that, when I had tried to lose weight, I was always of the notion that, you know, you get onto the elliptical or you get onto the treadmill and it shows you an X number and that's the amount of calories that you're losing. And we all know that really that doesn't work really. So I realized, you know, during my journey that um, exercise is not really necessarily the, the only thing that you need to do. And it's a very, very small part of all of your weight loss. It's actually the change in your diet as far as the lifestyle is concerned. So as far as lifestyle changes are concerned, I realized that diet is a very, very important part of, uh, of anybody's weight loss journey. And changing that is, is very crucial. So, you know, I was very, very um, amazed at uh, the lack of knowledge or the lack of information that's provided to us in medicine training um, when it pertains to obesity. And um, so I decided to, you know, explore this and see what else is available outside. So there is no formal training in obesity medicine in India. There's no formal training in lifestyle medicine in India. So what I did was I basically went on to Google and I just... Google obesity medicine, this was very random. I did not even know that there was a field like obesity medicine that existed. So then I found a few things and then I found about the American Board of Obesity Medicine. I found out about the fellowships that are available here. I reached out to people in the US to see if I could learn from them, you know, come to the US, train and, train and learn from them. And then they said, no, you have to finish a residency in the US to actually train in obesity medicine. So... Um, it so happened, I, I did not have any plans of moving to the U.S. just for doing obesity medicine, but it so happened that we ended up moving to the U.S. And I did my residency again in internal medicine. And lo and behold, nobody talks about obesity medicine and nobody teaches you about obesity. And it's all eat more, eat less and move more. And then I finally, you know, learned about obesity medicine. And I was amazed at the information that I got because none of it is available in the medicine textbooks. And I actually tried and went, you know, I tried and go back and look at the textbooks that I was using. And I honestly found very limited, very little information about um, obesity. So I was like, you know what, I did not miss anything when I was doing my training. It was just not a big part of it. Um, and so that led me to kind of, uh, you know, get into this field and made me very passionate about it, because I felt that, you know, having trained so much, having spent so many years in medical training, I do not know about obesity. I can only imagine what people uh, know about obesity. Mm -hmm. And add to that, all of the myths that are, uh, you know, that are, uh, that are prevalent and all of the misconceptions and all of the false lies that are, uh, that are spread in the society. Um, I was like, this is not right. This needs to change because, um, People are just being misguided. And of course, there is always, um, I, I agree with you. What I want to say is I can understand, of course, that, that people, other people want to help. And if you 
only have a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. So if you're right. a physiotherapist or if you're a, a trainer, a physical trainer, and you see the things that you can achieve when you go really all out in the gym, then of course, this person thinks mainly gym and of course, a little bit of nutrition. And the nutritionist says, oh, it's all nutrition and a little right. bit of gym. Um, but there is so much more there. And that's the intriguing thing. So if you were to to sort of put it into a structure, what other things are out there in addition to the physical activity and the nutrition, the healthy nutrition? Okay. So that's a very, very, very good question. Um, you know, I would want to start with, it's it's a lot more. So when I started this, it was, I also thought the same way. It's probably just nutrition and exercise. And what else are they going to talk about in, you know, obesity medicine? Um, and then when I I went to a conference and I was amazed, I was like, oh my God, there is so much more to obesity than just exercise and nutrition. So, uh, you know, just talking about what causes obesity, uh, it's it's primarily driven by our hormones, believe it or not. Now, that is completely contrary to what you would think about, you know, somebody just uh, pumping in calories and not just sitting around and lazing around. And, uh, you know, um, a lot of times uh, this analogy has been used uh, because, uh, and I'm going to give you an example, uh, a lot of times people have this perception that people who are suffering from obesity, and I'm using the word suffering from obesity very carefully because it is now recognized as a chronic disease by the World Health Organization. So it's an important thing to understand when you use certain specific words. So when I say somebody's suffering from obesity, that automatically takes the blame off of them, uh, you know, as far as the disease of obesity goes. And um, so what I found was that, you know, it's really driven by our hormones. And these hormones are, of course, modulated by different things, including your nutrition, including your internal state, including your sleep, including your exercise. There are so many things driving it, including your weight loss efforts. And that's really what causes uh, the changes in these cause obesity. Now, yes, there are certain genetic types of obesity, but that's very, very rare. Those genetic syndromes are very rare um, in the general population. And now, it's, for, for, for most people, when they sort of uh, hear hormones, they think about girls, they think about estrogen and progesterone, etc. Do you mean, uh, that's probably a very narrow view, isn't it? There is the cortisol and the adrenaline, sure, which yes. are hormones and which are uh, the insulin, which are, are all out Absolutely. there. So there's so many more, isn't it? Absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting that um, early on, um, I, I don't know the exact um, year, but like early on, like in the 50s, 60s or 70s, even probably, uh, even before this field of obesity medicine was just being explored. And again, I could be wrong in the decades, but my point is that early on, everybody f thought that the fat tissue is an inert tissue. That means it doesn't have anything to do other than just store energy. But we've learned that there are so many other metabolically active substances. There are so many other hormones that are released. Um, and now again, you know, talking about the hormones, it's not just estrogen, progesterone, which also have an effect on obesity, but it's also the insulin. It's the leptin. It's the ghrelin. There are so many other hormones that play a role in 
how you eat, how much you eat, uh, when you don't eat, whether you're feeling hungry, whether you're not feeling hungry. And so it's a very, very complex interplay of these hormones. And add to that the fact uh, that we have a, a, an addiction pathway hardwired into our brain, which is being hijacked by um, the, the corporate industry, the food industry, to make us eat all of the unhealthy food. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that uh, we talk about addiction and so many things, but there really is a problem with the foods that are available. I, I, you know, I cringe to call them foods. Because they're same, not same really here. foods. Same here, same here. <laughs> so they're not really foods, um, mm. but food-like substances. Actually, I had a guest on my show, and it was interesting. It's like, yeah, they're not foods. They're food-like substances. <laughs> so <laughs> I like it. And I mean, it is, it, let's give some examples here. It is, uh, it's probably clear to, to the two of us that 80 90% of the things that are sold in a supermarket have actually very poor nutritional values or Absolutely. you might as well chew on cardboard for for the, the goods that it does to your body um and and sometimes things are, are disguised so cleverly oh my um, god there have been some food analysts they went out to famous burger chains and then took the burgers took them apart put them under the microscope and then try to figure out how much of it is actually sort of you know meat what you expect meat to be, so muscle fibers, etc. Sure. And the figures were something around between 13 and 14% muscle fibers. Mm. And then the rest was grizzle and all kind of other rubbish in there. And you yeah. think, what the heck? So is that the abattoir being swiped up? Oh, there's a bit of sawdust. Yeah, that's going in there. So that's <laughs> that's what we eat and what we believe is is there. That's just one of a thousand examples that the two of us could give. So you're so right. Oh yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like if you go to the supermarket, it's it's almost it's very simple actually. The way I like to put it, um, because if you go into the specifics of specific food. Um, food that's available in the supermarket, it gets very, very confusing because you can't go around saying, okay, this is healthy, this isn't healthy. Anything that comes without a label is probably healthy. Anything that doesn't have a food label is probably healthy. <laughs> I like the idea. <laughs> and then again, if you look at, if you make potato fries at home, well, you right. cut the potato, put some salt, pepper on it and put it in some oil and that's chips, that's fries. If you look at the ingredients in chips that you buy to be consumed or that you actually eat in, in fast food restaurants, 17, 18 ingredients. Right. It doesn't make sense. You know, I used to, um, we used to try and cook um, or imitate the food that's available in the market at <laughs> home. And I would never be able to achieve the same. I, I'm very passionate about cooking as well. Uh -huh. So I would never be able to achieve the same taste. I was like, what's missing? Why is it? I'm putting, I'm basically just putting this and this and why? why? And I was like, oh, it's because of the ingredients. Exactly. I'm not putting in. So, yeah. So, you know, it's, um, it's basically if something doesn't have a food label, um, it's, um, it's probably healthy for you. Um, the other thing I want to say is that even though that may be healthy, if you transform that food, uh, into something else or transform it too much, even if you do it at home, that can still make it unhealthy. For example, you gave the example of fries. Now, you can fry the, the, the potato, but that, that would probably make it unhealthy. Okay. The, the flip side is, you know, I, I think um, the way I look at uh, the whole, whole 
whole concept of obesity and what's happening in the world is really, you know, it's it's a battle between what you desire and what your body actually needs. And I say this very, you know, with the, these, these are very strong words. And why I say this is because um, what you desire kind of goes into the whole concept of the dopamine surge that you get with, you know, with any addictive substances, for example. And, um, and that's kind of what the food industry has actually managed to understand. It's really the trifecta of, you know, fats, salt, and sugar. And you mix them and you have a poison that hijacks your brain. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, Stefan, but there have been times when I've gone to um, a supermarket and I've just grabbed something mindlessly. And later on, I wondered, why did I, why did I grab this? Mm-hmm. I, and I don't know why I grabbed it. And there, there have been instances like that. And I'm sure people who suffer from obesity have had those instances. And, you know, this, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a clever marketing trick because they're trying to, set, being, they're being sold. The page, people are being sold stuff, including me. They're being sold stuff. That is, um, that is not good for you, but it hijacks your brain. And now there are a lot of things that go into this. It's not, and, and, you know, I, um, I'm talking about this, and I actually had a very enlightening session on my podcast with a, a food addiction st- specialist. And I learned so much from her and I realized, you know, and and that also changed my mind because initially I used to think, well, you still have control over what you can buy. And talking to her, I realized that actually, you know what, it's like any other addiction. Like you don't have control over your actions Mm -hmm. because you just go and mindlessly grab it, right? And you want it and you just take it because otherwise you'll have that craving and it's constantly on your mind. Mm -hmm. So it's really very different if if you look at it from that perspective. How is our brain triggered? So let's say I do go into the supermarket and let's say I'm in a state where I had not looked after myself. So I did not prepare my day's food. It's now, I've just had 10 hours of work raising into the supermarket, just wanting to get something now to get something on the table for for me and my family. What are the things that that happen without me well, knowing when I walk in? <laughs> so that's very interesting. So you know we have uh, what we call um, the reptilian brain. That have the, you know that's the basic brain that works on all of these desires, mm-hmm. and then you have the the prefrontal cortex and the frontal cortex. That's where the executive decisions happen. That's where the decisions are made consciously. Mm-hmm. What ends up happening is, and it's not just about the trifecta of these ingredients. But it's also all the marketing that goes around it, all the all the you know the the way the wrappers are made, the way the photographs are uh, placed on that, and also um, the way they portray their message. You know, it's it's very funny if you go into a supermarket and you're buying something that has a green packaging on it, green and white or brown like earthy colors, you feel that it's probably healthier. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, if you um, if you uh, package a piece of um, chocolate, and I, I you know chocolate that is not really healthy, like milk chocolate or like with a lot of sugar in it and a lot of additives um, in it, um, and then you just put it in a very healthy looking wrapper, and you just write the words healthy or whatever, or you just write 
something else, some something that is um, that kind of portrays a, a positive image of the chocolate. Right. It's the same piece of chocolate, but it gives you an an, an impression that it's a, it a it's a healthier version of that chocolate. So that marketing itself is, you know, it it just hijacks your brain right. to thinking it's probably good for you, and you know, probably a little bit of it would not do anything to you. Right. And then on top of that. It's once you're, um, you know, once you have that, uh, once you have that piece of chocolate, it's basically what it's doing is it's causing you to have that dopamine surge. Now, you're not having that, I don't want to vilify chocolate because, you know, of course, uh, uh, pure chocolate has its own benefits if taken in small, very small quantities. But I'm just giving an example that, you know, what it would do is it would cause you to have a dopamine surge. Right, it gives you that high. That's why it tastes good because it's giving you that high, right? And so, so the brain craves that high again, and it's that's why you keep going back to that, and that that's why people will have certain food specific foods that they will go back to again and again, and get those, and and that's the way it works. And you know, it's very easy to say that oh, you're it's your fault. You should just stop eating that, but. Think about all the marketing that's gone gone into this. Think about all the thinking that's gone into all of this marketing that is happening. And, you know, that it's it's been designed in that way in a, for a very specific reason for you to buy more of it, right? And it's, it's so impressive. If you look behind the scenes, you have got billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars of being spent on manipulating your mind the social engineering that is going into into these products is utterly uh, mind-blowing oh absolutely and, absolutely and we of course we take it for granted um i've had previously uh, i talked about that in on my show here when it comes to addiction that that the alcohol industry is a billion dollar industry and that if you if you take the 10 biggest alcohol producers in the world put them together and compare them with countries they would be under number 43 or number 46 of all countries as far as riches and, and production is concerned sure yeah so this is huge and these people have got lobbyists on of course, uh, in of the united states so <laughs> oh the God, lobbying yeah. that goes on for there it is wow so we actually are set up to fail here and we are set up to fail yes and mm -hmm. and and um you know, a lot of times people say that it's a lifestyle disease and it's a it's a very voluntary thing that you can just stop. Mm. And you know, people who are are suffering from obesity are are lazy or you know mm. they're not doing their bit. But it just you know, it's it's you have to have a shift in your mindset. Just think about it. If somebody and you know, there are so many high achievers who are suffering from obesity. There are billionaires, billionaires who are suffering from obesity. If they can achieve so much of success in their life, and I'm saying millionaires, billionaires, because you know that's one of the things that we use as a, as a gauge for success is you know monetary wealth, or if they built a huge um, huge business or whatever. If they've been so successful in their lives, um, building this huge empire, why are they still suffering from obesity? Is the question, and and it's not just the millionaires, billionaires; it's also the physicians. You know, I've spent. Um, close to 17, 18 years in training, more than that. And if I was still suffering, if I 
if I was still suffering from obesity, why is that? Mm. You know, it's not that I'm not going to be making an effort. And the thing is, people who are suffering from obesity, they've made efforts. It's not like they haven't tried. So it's, it's uh, you know, if once you think about it that way, it kind of rings a bell in your head that, you know, it's probably more than what people mm. make it to be. Mm. And see, in the... In the... In the alcohol setting, um, there was this clever ploy that people put the onus on the drinker. So yeah. our alcohol product, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, okay? Because it's your fault. It's responsible drinking. You're not a responsible drinker. Therefore, it's all your fault. So right. it was this beautiful turnaround <laughs> and this, this kind of, of where the alcohol industry therefore could say, no, 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 we don't need to be regulated. Um, right. we, because our we're doing everything fine. It's the problem of these lazy uh, guys, so exactly your words. We could have just completely exchanged the food with alcohol, <laughs> alcohol and you had right. exactly the same story. So there are huge right. parallels there. Right, right, right. So, goodness gracious. So here you were, yourself, a bigger man. You were hitting the gym two hours a day. You were trying to do all the right things with your food, and you were still, you were still not getting the goals or achieving the goals that probably in your mind you had. Absolutely. So what ended up happening was, um, um, and I, this is all prior to my training in obesity medicine. I was, we always have this mindset once people who are suffering from obesity, um, they will always want to get to a certain weight, a mm. certain goal. They always have a certain goal when they were healthier in their lives. Uh, you know, when they were a certain XYZ weight at some point in time, and it's just because of the fact that there's not enough information about it. And you try to achieve that goal, right? And you're always trying to hit that, that particular goal. Um, the other thing that really happens is um, that people, when, um, when you go out or when you start losing weight, what people will tell you is, okay, you need to lose this much weight in these many weeks, right? And it's very variable for people. Yeah. You, you cannot really put a number on you have to lose this much weight in this much time. And this is how you're supposed to do it because your, your body may respond completely differently. It's, it's a hormonal balance issue. Um, and it's more than that. It's a neurohormonal issue. So it's very complex. And um, so, so, you know, I, I had a goal. I was, I was very happy when I was losing weight. But, you know, at the very end of it, I just hit what we call a weight plateau. And I, at that point in time, I did not know about the weight plateau concept. And it's it's a very fascinating concept, and I can go into that if you if you would want, um, because what ended up happening was I was like I'm doing everything right, I'm eating right, I'm exercising right, two hours a day, and I'm just not losing more weight, so I'm not getting those last few pounds off that I wanted off, and I was like, what's going on? Why am I not getting there? Um, but you know, I had lost a significant amount of weight, so I was fairly happy that you know I had. I reached close to that goal. A lot of times that doesn't happen for people. So they hit what we call a weight plateau. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'll, I'll uh, share this with you and your listeners and your viewers that, you know, I, I used to log my weight. I used to log my calories when I was losing my weight. And I used to look at the, the weight 
weight loss. Uh, I, I used to I used to uh, log it, and when I went to this conference and they were talking about the weight plateau and you know how your body tries. So so the concept of weight plateau is basically that when you hit a plateau, there's a certain plateau that you'll hit because your body's going to try and maintain the higher weight. The body's metabolic processes go down as you lose weight. So you need they, it'll, it just tries to push you up to that certain set point. There's a there's a concept of weight set point um, in the obesity literature. That's basically your body's going to try and maintain that set point. Your body is trying to is always going to try and achieve that higher weight. So when you start losing weight, your hormone levels go down, which will cause you to be more hungry, um, and and you know it basically does a lot of other complex things. So. So basically, that's the the weight set point. And what ends up happening is once you've lost weight, you actually hit a, a, a nadir, and then you kind of go back up a little bit, and then you stabilize. And I didn't know about this concept. And then I was uh, in this obesity conference for the first time learning about it, and they just showed this graph. And I was like, oh, let me look at my graph. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> exactly the same thing. <laughs> this is what happened. So it was very funny. It was very revealing. Uh, but you know it's interesting um, how the body works really and it's it's phenomenal so yeah um, that's what happens with the with the weight but I, I did achieve a certain amount of weight loss and then I I made peace with myself I said look this is what I'm going to try this is what I've tried and achieved and if I'm metabolically healthy at this point in time I don't want to do anything over and above this so that's a conscious decision on my part to not do more at this point in time. See, intriguing, intriguing. Um, I am a big man and metabolically I'm healthy. Every single blood test I do, top. I've done a coronary um, calcium score. My coronaries are clean as a whistle uh, sure. so i can't find anything necessarily wrong uh with me although high blood pressure is there so here you go metabolically i could say oh actually you know because i'm all right so hmm so i i certainly am on this journey but i found in my own journey that i have found the plateaus, I've found the resistance of my body, that's all there. But also I found so much more there. I've found indeed the food addiction. I've found yeah. my reptilian brain as one of the key drivers and the programming that I probably had achieved as a as a as a child, all these things that were that were sort of made me who I am. Right. Warts and all, they are huge, absolutely huge. Yes, I yeah. can drop 20 kilograms. Uh, I've done it. You do fasting, you do all kinds of things, and that's all quite nice. But then before you blink, you're back up because you're the needs that are fulfilled, for the lack of a better word, with food. They were not met. They are not met yeah. with other things. And I think that was... That's for many, many people so hard and so challenging if, uh, from, a, from a psychological point of view, if you don't deal with the trauma, if you don't deal with the anxiety, with the depression, all these things, which all have a metabolic component, which all have a weight 
in gain, uh, increase, decrease, etc. Sure. So there are all these kind of things that often play a huge, huge, huge role. So in that already it gives us then the next the next complexity there. So you have got the the simple calories in out and uh, yeah. As, a, as what many people <laughs> focus on. Then we have got all the social engineering there and how we are yeah. uh, manipulated by, by bigger powers. Then we have got the reptilian brain, which most of us have very little idea what's actually going on. And unless you yeah. actually, you, you end up on your own journey and start peeling back the onion layers and actually see what kind of trauma is there, then suddenly you think, okay, no surprise, you're you're craving that dopamine surge because with all the shit that has happened to you in the past, no surprise. Let's talk about the stress. Here you were um, in India going through your residency, and it was lovely to hear you saying that the, that the residency was brutal and and the training was hard as. Same here. Same with me. It is uh, you know. In anesthesia, there's, I've chosen probably one of the hardest ones here in, in, in New Zealand. Uh, but equally in other countries, there was so much stress, so many ungodly hours that I oh, yeah. spent working. <laughs> and what do you do? Of course, you want, you want a piece of chocolate. When, when you're yeah. 24 hours on call, you've worked 16 hours, you just slept two hours, and then there's a cesarean section. What did I do? A Tim Tam or a piece of chocolate or something oh, yeah. like that to give me that sugar rush that bing, okay, here I am, okay, I'm actually awake, kind of. Uh, and it's it's that. And you do that several times over the day because you're actually dead tired. Uh, duh, yeah. okay, your weight will go up. So there is that. So bloody hell. So just looking at all these challenges, there's no way we can win. That's it. Yeah, I give up. I might as well always be big. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> well, no. 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 That's no. Why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, no. We both know. We both know that it's not. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Uh, so if if someone like me is coming to you in your practice, so uh, how do you tease apart this complexity? Where the hell do you start? <laughs> yeah, that's a very, very good question, uh, Stefan. Because you know there is so much more at play. Yeah. in terms of uh, obesity management. And really, you know, um, the way uh, we talk about obesity management, it's kind of like four pillars mm-hmm. of obesity management. So pillar number one is nutrition. That, And then the second one is exercise. These kind of form the bedrock because you really do need to change all of this in order to move forward. Now, a lot of times we see that, you know, the lifestyle is optimized. We have them on uh, a good diet. Um, and, um, and mind you, no diet is better than the, other, the next diet. It's just that something that you can stick to. There was a very good study on this called the A to Z trial. They looked at multiple different diet patterns. And what they found was at the end of the day, if you stuck to the diet that you chose, you lost weight. Um, <laughs> it didn't matter which diet you were choosing. So, you know, it's really not... So, we, you know, we were talking about the fact that hammering your point of view, it's really looking at all of this from the patient's perspective. It's really looking at what their goals are in terms of their health. And it, that, that flips everything because I may have a certain point of view, but that may not gel well with the patient's point of view. You know, for example, I personally believe in, uh, you know, plant forward nutrition. 
Like I used to be a non-vegetarian, but I turned vegetarian because I thought it's probably better for me, right? So, but I cannot badger this point onto somebody who's who's an, not a who's not a vegetarian, right? I have to work with that patient to see how I can incorporate the good parts, the good foods into the diet, and how I can change that diet really. So it's really about working with the patient. It's not it's not as simple as you know, um, any other chronic disease, or for example, even a surgery, like you can't say that you're, you have appendicitis and, or you, you know, you have to do this and you do that and you'll be better. It's just basically you get the antibiotics. And if you need, if you need a surgery, you need a surgery essentially. Right. It's not like that here. You have to see what their goals are. And not only that, um, you also have to see what the underlying cause of the obesity is. It's really not about the band-aid work that you do. It's about treating the cause, right? So, so treating obesity is, is, is straightforward in the sense that there are good medications available. Now, let's come to the medications later. Let's start with the lifestyle and the physical activity. So lifestyle and physical, so diet and physical activity are very important. They have to be optimized before you can step up the game to the medications. A lot of times people will require medications. Okay, so there are good medications and there's very good data available about these medications that people can get to help them with weight loss. The way they work is they work at the neurohormonal level. So it's, they, they can reduce your appetite, they can reduce your carbohydrate cravings. They work at a very different level to help you do that. So they're very, very effective medications um, that are available for weight loss. And then there's of course surgery. So the four pillars are, and uh, I forgot one pillar actually, which is also very, very crucial, is the mind, mind, uh, the mindfulness or the, the mindset or the behavioral changes that we talk about, because that is also very, very crucial. Now, we have to also understand what is causing this obesity in a, in a patient. Is it some underlying psychological stress, psychological trauma? Is it a medication that the patient is on? For example, we know that there are a host of medications that can cause you to have weight gain. We know that there are certain antidepressants that can cause you to have weight gain. There are certain antidepressants that can help you with weight loss. So knowing that, being cognizant of the fact that you're on a certain medication and that may be causing it. Now, imagine somebody who's already suffering from, say, some, some uh, depression or whatever, and they're on a medication that we know is going to cause weight gain, right? They go to their primary care physician and they're told, well, you got to eat less and move more. And they do that. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, you think they're going to lose a ton of weight? No, they're not. Because it's not, it's not in their hands. Right? So it's very different. So you have to really unearth what's causing all of this. The sleep, sleep is such a big factor in all of this. You know, we know studies have shown that if you don't sleep enough, you're going to crave sweet stuff. Mm. You're going to eat sugary stuff. So there is a lot at play over here. And then we talk about, you know, um, the calorie model. It's very important to understand, and I'm, I'm going to be a little, a little blunt here and a little, you know, uh, whatever out there. When we eat, not everything gets absorbed. We also poop. So people have to understand that poop also has calories in it, right? So if a packet says 100 calories, that doesn't mean those 100 calories are getting absorbed into your body. If that were the case, then you wouldn't be pooping, right? <laughs> so, 
So you have to understand, it's not what it says on the package, it's what's absorbed by the body. And that's controlled in the gut. And what controls that in the gut? It's your hormones. It's, it's the gut microbiota. It's so much more, right? So, so it's, it's a, such a complex play of things in obesity. And, um, and so, so, yeah, we need to change that mindset that it's just about, you know, calories in, calories out. There are these four components, like I said, the four pillars that we use to, to help people with obesity. Now, having said that, yes, calorie reduction works. Yes, it is used in the treatment of obesity. I'm not discounting that at all. It does work, but it'll only work to a certain point, mm. right? Now, at the same time, 100 calories of uh, biscuits is not going to be the same as 100 calories of broccoli. Mm. They're vastly different, right? The way they're absorbed is different. The, what they do to your gut microbiota is different. So it's very different. Mm. And the way they'll behave on your body is going to be very different. And that's the key thing to understand. It's it's about calories, but not quite. Absolutely. No, it makes so much sense. And we have talked in other parts of this show. We talked about the, the gut-brain axis. We talked about leaky oh, yeah. gut. We talked about the importance of the gut microbiotome. Uh, um, it is there is so much out there already. Um, so, guys, if 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 you want to refresh your mind, go a bit back and and have a look at the playlist of healthy nutrition, uh, where a lot of these things have already been covered. Uh, you were saying that uh, that nowadays in the United States, certainly there are medications available to help with the weight loss. Now, these medications have been around for a long time. In the oh, 70s, yeah. there were great drugs available for uh, weight loss. Fen-Fen was one of them. <laughs> um, great. Drop weight down. Every woman loved it. And then suddenly people were rather sick because what they actually had was speed, for the lack of a better word, okay. uh, P amphetamines and, and and all the kind of things. And so I want to actually change that. I want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna cut you short, uh, Stefan. I'm gonna <laughs> change that 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 uh, whole misconception about uh, fentramine. So fentramine oh. has been around. So so it was fentramine and fenfluramine. So yeah, the yeah. fenfluramine yeah. was the bad part of the fen fen. The F E N. Yeah. The P H E N was the good part. Uh, I see, I see. So, so you know, um, there is still an FDA warning about the fentramine part of it, uh, that it's an amphetamine-like substance and it can be addictive. But, you know, it has, it's been around for a very long time. Yeah. It's been used long-term in patients, and uh, data doesn't suggest that it may be addictive. It's just that oh, we, we fear that it may be addictive. Yeah. See how now, cool is that? Here I am. Here I am. I I should know. And this was something that was drilled into me in my medical sure. school days, university days. And it just shows that that fifty percent of what we learn and what we take for granted in medicine uh, yeah. will become obsolete. We just yeah. don't know if it's in five years or ten years time. Sure. So here you go. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> so so fentramine is actually a very good drug um, to help with weight loss. Having said that, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to give uh, people this impression that that's the easy way out. You just pop a pill in and then you start losing weight. I'd, I don't think that's the, the right way to do it. 
And that's why, you know, whenever we prescribe medication, it has to be a very structured approach. Mm. You have to have that intention of having tried, um, you know, the lifestyle changes first and see where you get, mm. and then you start the medications. Mm. Sometimes we, you know, if the patient is suffering from morbid obesity or, or whatever, sometimes you can start medications right away to help them. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the fenfluramine part was the one that caused the cardiac issues and whatever. But fenfluramine, it, it is a sympathomimetic. That means it'll, it'll give you that, it'll give you, make you buzz and give you more energy and keep you awake. Sometimes people have a problem with that because they have a difficulty falling asleep. Mm. Um, it, we kind of try and um, avoid it in patients with cardiac diseases or if they have you know, high blood pressure, then control their blood pressure and then mm. give it to them because it drives up the sympathetic system. But it does more than that. Um, it works on the brain. Uh, to kind of tell you to stop e to stop eating and basically feel full. Um, but having said that, that's just one drug. Mm. There are other drugs that are available. Um, I was mentioning about an antidepressant. So topiramate is an antidepressant that's available. That's that's used. So there's a combination available over here called Qsimia. That's a that's a trade name. Uh, it's a combination of fentramine and uh, and topiramate that helps with weight loss. Um, there is um, um, uh, the GLP-1 agonists like liraglutide, uh, semaglutide, saxenda. That's been approved for weight loss. These are diabetes medications, but when they're given at a higher dose, they also help with suppression of the appetite. They also help with weight loss. So they're approved for obesity treatment. Uh, then you have uh, Welbutrin or uh, Brupopion. That is also used for smoking cessation. Um, that helps with weight loss. So, the, um, and a lot of times we'll, so there's a combination available called Contrave. That's Brupropion. I just hate to say this word. It's, so con so it's a tongue twister for me, but Brupropion and, um, and uh, Naltrexone. Mm -hmm. And it was a very specific reason why it was designed this way, because um, what it does is in the brain um, where your the, the hunger pathways and the satiety pathways, how they work, it kind of works in a very specific way to, to block two specific channels because brupropion blocks one and the other one gets activated. So the naltrexone works to uh, block the other one. Mm. So that's why it was designed that way to help with weight loss. So these are, and you know, one of the common ones that's available is Orlistat, but it's not a great drug to use. It's basically works in the gut itself. It blocks the fat absorption. And again, it depends. It's all based on the fact, based on that notion that weight gain is all about high fat intake, which is really not the case. Okay. So there are wonderful drugs and there are wonderful um, trials that have been done on this. And fentramine has stood the test of time. It really has. Oh. Interesting. So, yeah, and then there are some other other analogs of, uh, not exactly analogs, but there are other drugs that work similarly to, to fentramine, like uh, di diethylpropion. Yeah, that's an, that's an even older drug from fentramine, which is a shorter-acting version. So fentramine acts longer, and this one is a shorter-acting. Sometimes we need to use that for patients who have, like, uh, were unable to sleep at night because of the fentramine, even if oh. you're giving it in the morning. So, so yeah, there's, there are a lot of, and then uh, sometimes we use off-label metformin really doesn't have any weight loss per se, but the, the insulin sensitizing effect is helpful. Mm. So there are, there's a bunch of, there are a bunch of drugs uh, that are available. And I want to point out, there's a very interesting um, drug that just recently got approved by the FDA called Plenity. 
Um, that's basically a hydrocolloid. So it, you just pop in two pills before your food. It's basically a hydrogel. So it just the, with the water, it just forms a gel and it kind of in, expands in your in your stomach, and that kind of occupies that space. And uh, so it does more than just you know uh, decrease the increase the volume of what uh, in within the, the stomach because it also affects the way um, the stomach works. Um, and and the, the hormones that are released from the stomach itself or the signaling that happens to the brain from the stomach itself. So that just got approved uh, for... So all of the drugs that I mentioned so far were only approved for obesity. But Planity is also uh, approved for people who are suffering from overweight. So that's the only one that's approved for people with overweight. Wow. And they already... You have only given us a small overview of what is available there now. Uh, and looking at your four pillars plus the complexity that is there wow this is this is mind-boggling for me as <laughs> as a as a doctor who uh, in principle knows about these things but right. yeah i say whoa uh leave alone someone who is actually just starting out on their journey so if people want to learn more about you and from you if actually people think, damn, I need to get in touch with this guy. And because you do coaching yourself, you do help yourself there. Um, how can they go about it? Where can they find you? Where can they learn more about you? And tell us about your, your podcast on that note. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, I, that's what I was going to say. The first thing that they can do is um, listen, start listening to my podcast called Decoding Obesity. Um, what I aim to do with that podcast is um, basically bring about, bring forth evidence-based information on obesity. And really, there's so much of uh, misinformation out there that I want to be able to provide good quality information um, that has been backed by science uh, to people so that they can start on their weight loss journey. Uh, the other thing that I have is, you know, um, stories always work better than data. I have um, quite a few people who've come on my podcast and I have some uh, more guests who are lined up and I'm going to probably continue doing that is get people to talk about their journey. Mm. And I have had people who've had surgeries for weight loss and the other, that was the other thing we didn't talk about is surgeries. There are phenomenal surgeries available for weight loss. Um, and then on the horizon are like now even beyond the surgeries are endoscopic procedures that are available for, um, for weight loss. So yeah, I mean, you know, th there are, there are people who've come on my podcast who've had surgeries, who've been on medications, who've just tried lifestyle, and they just share their stories. And I think once you hear those stories, you feel encouraged that there is still hope. It's not, all is not lost. Mm. Um, there is hope and there is help available. Mm. So, so that I would encourage them to start by listening to my podcast. Um, it's called Decoding Obesity. And I named it because I'm trying to de decode obesity for so many of us, right? Mm. Um, my podcast so far has focused primarily on changing nutrition. I haven't delved much into the medication part of it because I think um, it's the lifestyle changes that you can start with at home. And that's why I geared it specifically um, to talk more about these changes that you can begin today sitting at home. So I always leave people with some tips. So there's some actions that you can take. So they can certainly... Um, you know, listen to that. They can reach out to me. My email is host at decodingobesity.com. Um, and um, they can 
check me out on Facebook. It's uh, my my username is Dr. Sabharwal. It's D-O-C-T-O-R-S-A-B-H-A-R-W-A-L. And that's the same handle for Twitter. That's the same handle for Instagram. And um, they can, uh, you know, find me on LinkedIn. So yeah, that's where I'm available. Perfect. Guys, just look down there into the description of the podcast and of the interview. You will find all of his uh, social media handles there and a link to his show. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful talk today, a beautiful interview with you, because you have already decoded quite a lot of things in my right. own mind. You have clarified some things. And I love it that you've taken away the guilt and the shame for some of our viewers and listeners that it is that they are not failures, that they are not not just lazy bums who can't get their shit together, but right. instead that this is a disease that needs to be addressed as such, and that there uh, that there's a structured approach to deal with obesity of course and it is a beautiful beautiful thing and i think there is i think in the united states i think you guys are ahead of us and certainly here in new zealand we have got a, an obesity pandemic um epidemic should i say and it is it is an issue we need to address that and i'm really really pleased that you showed us the bigger picture not just the oh well eat less and, and exercise more. <laughs> so I'm so grateful for that, honestly, because it is that's still the notion that is out here. That's still what people focus on. And then they maybe have a little bit of mindfulness associated with that. But no, You know, this... you say that it's, it's there it, just in New Zealand. It's also there over here. Actually, you know what? It was interesting that um, when I was, I do publish my podcast on Twitter as well. And one of the replies that I got was it just about calorie intake and calorie. I was like, no, this is much more than that. I encourage you to listen to my podcast. So it's not just there. Even in the U.S., it's still prevalent. And that's what we're trying to change. Mm. Um, some of it has to do with the nutrition, but some of it doesn't. And we have to understand what are the underlying causes of um, of your weight gain. And, it, you know, um, it's much more than that. It's much more than the weight. It's much more than the BMI. And that's why the first the first episode of my podcast was with body measurements, where I talk about, you know, what are the measurements that you can use actually to understand whether you're suffering from, um, you know, obesity or not. Because it's much more than that. It's, it's a fascinating field. It's, uh, you know, moving you know, in a very, at a very fast pace. And if you look at the studies that have been done, it is amazing what studies they've done in the past to see how body changes when you lose weight, how body changes when you gain weight. And it is, it's a beautiful field. I'm, I'm very passionate about this field and about and, lifestyle medicine, yeah. And it shows, and that's so beautiful. And Avishka, I fear that this is not the last time I've got you on my show. I think there are, <laughs> we need to explore I'm happy to be a few. Back. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> no, no, that's brilliant. Avishka, thank you so much. Uh, you've honored me for coming onto my show. You've humbled me by actually uh, telling me things that I thought, ah, okay. So I thought I had a handle on it. And <laughs> here I am, here, just still amazed. 
how little I know, despite the fact that I have been looking into that as well, but here you are. And if I'm amazed, guys out there, there's so much you can learn. There's so much you can do. Don't give up. Don't, and don't call yourself failures. And don't stop that, that evil twin guilt and shame talk in your head. Today is a new day. Today you've made new decisions. You you will go out there and it's your call. Yes, you can get a chocolate. And if that really is what you want, enjoy that piece of bloody chocolate. Absolutely. Just yeah, it's funny you it. talk about enjoying it. Indeed. I have a yeah, I have episode, um, I have an episode on mindful eating. Sure. So we did um we did a session um very interesting with uh, another lifestyle medicine doc. Um, and uh, we basically talked about how to eat mindfully. And it was fascinating that we actually did a live, live mindful eating session during the podcast. <laughs> and it really does change the way um, you know you experience food. Yeah, exactly. Um, again, not to take away from the fact from the addictive part of the food because that is a completely different beast. But the food that you're eating, you said it, said it very aptly. If you're going to eat something, just don't feel guilty about it. Enjoy it. And it's That's just right. really about enjoying the food and becoming more cognitive about the fact that you're eating it. Absolutely. Now I completely subscribe to that. And that is where the whole mindfulness comes in. So guys, look after yourself. This is your life. You might as well make the most out of it. You've got only one life to live. So maybe focus on it and enjoy it for what it is, what's and all, because it's your life. And the past does not equal the future. So you hopefully we have planted a seed here today uh, that can grow and that that guides you onto the right journey for you yourself and uh, so that you can 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 just go to to the place and become the person that you want to be. Uh, so who will you become when you grow up? And it doesn't matter how old you are. Okay. I'm going to be 18 till I die. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Avishka, thank you so much for being on my show. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye.